Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. Until you go inside, you never know what's really going on until you get a closer, deeper look into what's really going on. And I feel like that's really what we all need to keep in mind in life. And that even when it comes to crucible moments of, hey, at first, a gift may be wrapped up in adversity. It may be wrapped up in barbed wire with a pink rubber duck just taunting you saying, hey, you sure you want to open me, buddy? I'm going <laughs> to, it's just taunting you talking like Macho Man, Randy Savage, a professional wrestler. Like, hey, buddy, <laughs> I know you want to succeed, but you got to open up this barbed wire. It's going to hurt your hands first. Well, those are definitely some words of wisdom from today's guest, Dom Brightman, who um, who speaks with us today uh, about how to, yeah, I'm going to say it. I'm going to dare to say it. Dom discusses with us how to wrestle with our crucible experiences. Dom offers a unique and energetic and insightful perspective on how to move beyond our crucibles. He is uh, a certified member of the John Maxwell Leadership Team and the author of two and a quarter books. Uh, his first book is Going North, Tips and Techniques to Advance Yourself. His follow-up was Stay the Course, The Elite Performer's Seven Secret Keys to Sustainable Success. And just out this fall is uh, a chapter he's written in a compilation book and if this isn't a crucible uh, leadership title, I don't know what is. This is perfect for Beyond the Crucible. Uh, he has written a chapter for a book that just came out called Crappy to Happy, uh, Sacred Stories of Transformational Joy. I'm Gary Schneeberger, the co-host of the podcast, and I'm going to turn you loose here for Dom and Warwick to have a conversation. But before I do, uh, I want you to to grab a pen or a pencil and some paper because Dom's got some uh, some wisdom that he drops in this episode. He's a motivational speaker who talks about these things across the country, or, or at least across Zoom as we sort of face uh, the pandemic that we're facing right now. But here's just one of the things that Dom says in the episode that you're going to want to write down. I'll give you a head start. Uh, and that is this, your adversity can be your advantage. So let's uh, hear Dom Brightman and Warwick unpack that for us right now. Well, thanks so much. And Dom, really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. And um, yeah, I'd uh, love to uh, hear more here in a bit about your book, Going North, and your podcast on that and just um, how you help coach folks. So before we get into that, you know, tell us a bit about uh, Dom Brightman, kind of how you grew up, understand that you're in Baltimore, I'm a few miles down the road in Annapolis, Maryland, so uh, same state, uh, home of, uh, I guess, the Maryland Terrapins. If you're not from Maryland, you probably have no idea what a terrapin is. I think it's some kind of snappy turtle, from what I understand, <laughs> you know, fear the turtle. I don't know why you meant to fear a turtle, but if you're in Maryland, I guess you meant to tell people, be afraid of a turtle. So there we go, a little, little Maryland uh, deal there. But um, yeah, so tell us about yourself, uh, just growing up here and Baltimore area and yeah, your family and, and all that. Sure thing. Well, first off, I like to say never hesitate to show gratitude. So thank you mm. both team George Washington, Mr. Gary and Wark yourself <laughs> for allowing me to be able to share this time with you. This is amazing. And outside of the intro, like my main miles advanced was to advance myself because 
I believe in coaching and empower others to share their stories through motivational teaching and bookcasting. Because of motivational teaching, as opposed to motivational speaking, you get to leave people with tangible tips and techniques they can walk out with, along with their motivation, instead of being motivated to run through a brick wall. And then they're wondering to themselves, okay, why am I charging for this brick wall here? Why am I doing this? <laughs> and really just giving them something tangible to walk away with. So that's a little bit of about me, at least the short version of it. Yeah, no, that's great. So tell us about your family. You grew up in Baltimore. So who was like a young, young Dom? What, what were you like as a kid in elementary school and all? Oh, yeah, young Dom, pretty much a quiet oh. kid, funny enough. Went to grade school probably most of my time. If it wasn't at home or playing with my friends, it was most likely in school or possibly church because I think it was around two weeks old, got christened in a church, and I was basically <laughs> raised in a church for my whole life because my father, he was a spiritual man, even though he still has short backs like we all do. We're all human. No one's perfect mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. And he took me to Sunday school every morning, so basically from 8.30 to around good 2.30 p.m., Every Sunday, I'd basically be in the church, Sunday school service. And then, of course, it's a black Baptist church. So, you know, the pastor's going to say, I'm going to close. And then he's got another yeah, yeah. hour to go. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of a joke. What does it mean when a pastor looks at his watch? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So when you listen to your dad and say, I'm going to close, it's like, Dad, come on. I mean, for once, can you actually mean it? I mean, you know, <laughs> you, ever, you ever kid him about that? It's like, why do you say that? You know? <laughs> oh, well, that's the good thing. He was the preacher himself. Funny enough, he joked around when he was a kid because funny enough, my grandfather was a preacher. And when it was time to pray around the family room and they would do prayers, they would pray all night. Even as a kid, he'd be like, hey, can we pray one prayer, please? Just one. <laughs> and all the grown-ups just laughed at him because he was so right. Like, like come on, we, I'm pretty sure God gets the yeah. point. <laughs> so as you were growing up with this kind of heritage, was it ever like, uh, kind of, deal? well, Dom, you know, um, it's pretty clear what the Lord will have for you. We've had two generations of preachers, so... Really, the question is, what kind of preaching do you want to do? What kind of church? I mean, was ever that expectation that you'd absolutely go into the, you know, I don't know about family business, but family heritage at all? <laughs> yeah, well, let me clarify the, the generational preaching part. My grandfather was a preacher, but my father wasn't. He actually okay. spent time in the military. He actually served in World War II, funny enough, and the Korean mm. War in the 82nd Airborne Division as a paratrooper. So he oh, wow. actually... Spent time in the service in terms of service for the country in addition to being a spiritual man. Like for me, the preaching, like folks been probably like 95% of people probably think I'm a preacher right right now. And I don't even <laughs> try to come across that way, especially Travis. Like, yeah, hey, you look like that preacher on TV. Hey, make sure you share the, the tithe money and bless up some other people. I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't have a tie on. I just got slacks and a shirt. <laughs> Uh, that's that's funny, but it's kind of probably in the blood. So, um, so I understand that uh, one of the things you did growing up is you spent time in the library, like a summer internship, which I think turned out to be, I don't know, somewhat of a key part of your journey. So talk about why the library, because from what I understand, you weren't really into reading books. So how did that all happen? Oh, yeah, it was funny back then, too, because back then I wasn't really into reading books because with grade school, they give you books that you don't want to read. <laughs> and 
they'll put you straight to sleep. <laughs> Funny enough, remember back in 11th grade reading a book over the summer for a book project and after page two I fell straight asleep and then I came to at 10 p.m. a few hours later like oh whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so and that was the same year that it kind of brings back to the part that me being a quiet kid my mom knew I was a quiet kid and she wanted me to get some work experience as quickly as possible to at least give myself an advantage and out of nowhere like a spirit told her like hey why don't you see if you can get Dom a job at the library and she called the HR office. They had an opportunity available. I worked there as a summer youth intern in the summer of my 11th grade year. And those three months were interesting. Even got paid for as a page internship. And my work was good enough. And they liked me enough to bring me back on as a part-time employee when I turned 16, when it was actually legal to do so. And just doing that, and it was surprising because I was still the quiet kid. I haven't really gotten to the part where I can be one of those ambiverts, the extroverted introvert was able to be a social butterfly, but still recharges when he's not mm -hmm. around people. And just that summer youth internship, being able to be liked well enough to be brought back because I was always the kid who would always do his work. And funny enough, like even my humor was developing at the time because my first time there, the supervisor was like, so do you come to the library a lot? And I was like, yeah, I do. I come here twice a year. <laughs> and everybody's just supposed to help laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, reading wasn't my thing <laughs> and libraries weren't my thing. And I thought that was a lot. It's like, oh, I got two big projects a year. I come here to take the books out and check them back in. And as the years gone by, I realized, oh, people come here every day, mm. <laughs> every day. It's a community resource. And one guy said he's a security guard. He's like, I see people here more often than I see my wife. Wow. So that's how much people still use local libraries these days. And that really experience just being around those wonderful folks of diverse backgrounds helped me to realize, you know what, I can learn to deal with people with different generations, different nationalities. Like with the library I worked at in particular, there's a little part where Storyville, where it's for kids birth to five, where you get them ready for kindergarten. Then they have a stream space. And then for the teenagers, it was next door to high school. So 100 to 300 teens would come to the building after school, a good 2.30 p.m. in the middle of the day. And then, of course, we get senior citizens, especially years ago when e-readers were getting extra big back then before smartphones got bigger. They just needed help using their tools they got mm. for Christmas and, heck, even helping folks find employment. So libraries are more than books, and I had to learn that after working there for a few years and going in because I thought like, Oh, just go to the card catalog, pick up a book. Like, no, it's actually bigger than that. It's a community resource because especially nowadays where people don't all have reliable Wi-Fi and they go to parking lots of libraries, especially mm -hmm. in the Baltimore County area sure. to use the Wi-Fi during the whole pandemic thing. So that really lets me broadening my mind. It's kind of like the whole outside looking in thing until you go inside you never know what's really going on until you get a closer, deeper look into what's really going on. And I feel like that's really what we all need to keep in mind in life. And that even when it comes to crucible moments of, hey, at first, a gift may be wrapped up in adversity. It may be wrapped up in barbed wire with 
a pink rubber duck just taunting you saying, Hey, you sure you want to open me, buddy? I'm going <laughs> to, it's just taunting you talking like macho man, Randy Savage, a professional wrestler. Like, Hey buddy, I know you want to succeed, but you got to open up this barbed wire. It's going to hurt your hands first. <laughs> it's kind of like that thing. So yeah, it's been really just that going forward, just taking a deeper look and realizing that there's a gift in every adversity. And there's a gift when you look deeper into certain situations and environments. So it sounded like that library opened up a whole window to the world, which obviously vicariously you can have an idea of what's going on in the world and books, but just all your community and different age groups, different people's challenges and you're helping them, your work ethic, you're finding, you know, I'm getting things done, Dom's responsible, you're finding a sense of humor. So there was, you know, you don't always think of a library as being a key part of the journey, but it seemed like it was for you in all, all the ways you just described, which is amazing. So I know from understand that um, you've had a, a couple of crucibles. I think you had, a, from what I understand, a car accident when you were 21. Now, a lot of people when they're young, you know, they have car accidents. It's not that uncommon. But somehow for you, this was a bit of a transition point for you. So talk about why that was a transition point. Ah, uh, yeah. The wonderful TP that we all need in life, a transition. Yeah. The blessing of a transition point or what did you describe, <laughs> is the, the gift wrapped in barbed wire, that kind of thing. Oh, please. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, um, yeah, it was one heck of a transitional point because really, that day, I was expecting just to go to class and then celebrate with some family and some friends later on in the day. Not expecting to freaking wreck my car making a left turn, no less, and blocking up traffic for a good, man, my God, it was a good 90 minutes. Wow. And having to call two, it was two different tow trucks, actually, oh. because cause I, I called AAA first after the accident, and then... They were on their way, and then while the traffic was being backed up, a police officer noticed, drove past, and he noticed something was going on. So we called his guy since the AAA guy didn't show up, and both tow trucks showed up at the same time. And I was like, okay, I guess I got the insurance for this one. You can call up your guy. And then when the AAA guy <laughs> came to tow my car, he was like, oh, uh, this truck isn't built to this kind of situation because my wheel was detached from one side of my car and then it was so darn <laughs> plotted set on the ground that it was hard to drag it onto the truck with his tools that he had so the officer had to call back the other tow truck and that just made it even longer and just really long story short that really helped me to realize like hey I gotta really shape up here because I told my mom about it she's still in the Maryland area and still lived with them at the time when this accident happened, she was the other person I called, one of the first people called after trying to get the car towed away. And I was still a little shell-shocked from the whole situation. I was like, ah, darn, I can't believe I freaking crashed my car like this. I'm going to be able to drive it again. How the heck am I going to continue class like this? Might I take the bus or something? And and this was the year where it was the penultimate semester. It was the second to last semester before I got an IT degree at the school. And I was so close to the finish line. And that's the other thing about the moments is like when you're so close to that goal, there's always going to be that one final test that really right. stands out to really make sure to test you to see if you really want to finish. And if you want to be an uncommon finisher, you're going to have to find your uncommon strength that you 
was lying deep within all of us to really push beyond that moment. And sometimes it even requires the help of another person. Like my mom says, like, hey, you've come too far to quit. God's got big plans for you because you're still alive. Because I walked out with no injuries from that situation. Huh. And she said, hey, you can do it. So how did that change your perspective on life? I mean, what about that was a turning point? What made it a turning point is the fact that one is the first time that something like that really happened to me on that large scale. Like the closest thing that could really take place in that moment really had pretty much an easy childhood for the most part with the parents and everything. And that was really something that just came flying out of nowhere. And what made it really a turning point was the fact that that was actually a month after my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And that was what really happened is the fact that it was just really another hit to the face where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm seeing my hero decay. I can't even drive my car anymore. And like, am I going to be able to get the class to finish this darn degree? And then heck, even a couple weeks after that being called in when the meeting with my boss at the time and telling me like, Hey, you got to shape up here because she didn't know what was going on. I like to keep the, personal and the professional life separate and I'd never told anyone about it until of course the books came out but that's all of the story and just realize that you know what these three things realize you know what something needs to change here something needs to change and looking back at that meeting with the boss yeah she yelled at me but at the same time she also said that folks are going to be looking to me as a leader because she was having some new hires come in at the time since it was the new school year and I led to the leadership section of the library where I picked up a book by John Maxwell that helped me to really change my life and find personal and professional development to become a voracious reader again and actually change my perspective and realize, you know what? The car accident was a wake-up call. My father falling ill, that was a wake-up call to basically make sure I take better care of him and always be grateful for him. And really wake-up call to take it up to a next level and realize that you can't really go through life on a plain meadow like an open land there's going to be some valley moments there's going to be some mountains you have to climb you have to go uphill sometimes you have to go back downhill and metaphorically unlearn some things like uh like the love for reading that was something i unlearned through grade school but i relearned after having those moments come crashing down on me forcing me to do something different and sometimes it just takes moments like that to help you realize you know it's something needs to change. We need those people to remind us like, hey, your adversity can be your advantage. It almost seems like you had a renewed sense of purpose. You kind of rolling through life, doing okay. Life wasn't terrible up to that point, but somehow the combination of the accident, your dad's Alzheimer's, the conversation with your boss, somehow did it feel that sense of, I need more of a purpose, more of a direction, or rather than just kind of flowing through life or was it something like that? Oh, yeah, because uh, one of my mentors like to say, don't go with the flow because dead fish go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wisdom. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. So if somebody says, Dom, just go with the flow, he says, no, 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 no. I don't go with the flow. <laughs> don't <Exactly>. do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be in the frying pan later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing that you didn't have much of a love for reading, but then reading, self-development, John Maxwell, that kind of fueled that next direction. I, I want to ask about that, but I'm curious, you said, well, you know, obviously when your dad gets a diagnosis of Alzheimer's, that's 
it just feels like this slow death sentence when the person who they were begins to evaporate before your eyes, which is obviously crushing. But talk about why he was your hero, because not everybody says their dad or their mom, for that matter, is their hero. But why why did you see your dad as, as your hero? Ah, powerful question, powerful question. And yeah, like I said earlier, like this first time someone actually asked mm. me that. And I'm blessed to say that my dad was one of my heroes in life because the whole spiritual foundation always taking me to church every Sunday school and helping me to get that biblical foundation. And the fact that he, he actually had gray hair all, all of my life. Like I've, I've never seen, I've seen him with number gray, a gray beard, gray hair on his head. And what really made him a hero is that he always made sure that when it came time to pick me up from school, he would always be on time and show up early. And one time when he fell asleep preparing a dinner for the family later, he apologized to me because he showed up five minutes late one day. And I'm like, I, it didn't matter to me because I was still grateful to have a ride home from school and all the other good stuff. And he felt bad that he was late for picking me up. And even more importantly, even though he was in his early eighties, he was still volunteering at the church during the daytime to keep himself active because we would have a Maryland food. We would be sponsored by the Maryland food bank. That was one of our resources because we had a soup kitchen at the church I attend and we would get food from there. And since the, church doesn't have too many young folks available during the daytime the trustees he was a trustee at the church he would help lift those heavy boxes and mind you, he was around a good 83 85 still doing this and one time we we're having a conversation on the way back home from class and i was like hey so 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 dave why are you why are you still working as hard as you do when you, you could probably let somebody else do it like you you've, you've worked all your life you you had two combat jumps in World War II. You served the country. You, you were a bus driver for 35 years and dealt with all that stress of dealing with all that. And you could just really rest and enjoy yourself because, it, like, he retired, I think it was like 95, and it was around a good, my goodness, I think it was probably a good 10-plus years past retirement where a lot of his friends died a couple of days after they retired, and he's lived a whole decade plus after it. And I'm like, why aren't you enjoying yourself? And he's like, hey, I'm enjoying myself still. Because God's given me life, and it would be a disservice to not use my time here, my life, to help other people. Mm. And, and this is a guy at 85 saying that, and I'm like, wow. And just that really just really made him my hero in life because he was there for me. He always gave me some foundational principles and, heck, even the humorous side where he – Sometimes he'll be so soft-spoken and quiet and everything, enjoying himself. And then sometimes when he gets around other buddies, he'll bust out a random joke and then have the whole group of guys laughing. And I got to see some of his other side too. And really just seeing the fact that parts of my life were emulated from him consciously and subconsciously, and I didn't even know it or I wasn't aware of it at the time. So that's the main reason mm. why I consider him one of my heroes. Boy, I mean, it's a privilege to have a parent like a dad like that is a man of tremendous faith, great character, is always there for you, uh, not quitting, you know, just irrespective of age, lifting those boxes, involvement in church. I mean, that's a great, uh, that's a great heritage. You know, I often think that um, the heritage we have is often just uh, if we're blessed to have a family legacy of character and faith and as listeners would know, the the guy that started the family business, newspaper business in Australia 150 years before my great-great-grandfather, he was an elder in his church, 
wonderful husband, wonderful father, employees loved him. And there was that heritage of character that was spread through the generations of a sense of service and humility. And um, I mean, that kind of legacy is something that is just a gift to the future generations. And I should know this, but are you married with kids? I, I should know this. I guess <laughs> somehow I don't know that, but I should ask you that. Do you have? Oh, no, no, not yet. I'm not rushing that. I'm okay, okay, good, so good. <laughs> I'm in no rush for that right now. No worries. If and when that happens you'll have an amazing legacy and story to tell about uh, their grandfather and that kind of heritage. You know, that's be really cool. Go ahead. I want to jump in here for the listeners and just sort of recap what we've just talked about. Warwick and Dom, aside from living in Maryland, probably couldn't be more different in how they were brought up and, you know, how they've, they've lived their lives. But we've just heard both of them, listener, talk about the importance of one of their forefathers, in Dom's case, his dad, in Warwick's case, his father, as well as he talked here about his great-great-grandfather, and the importance and the power of the legacy that those individuals left in their lives and the lives that they're leading now. I said at the top of the show in finishing Dom's bio that his mantra is advance others to advance yourself. You know, listener, from previous episodes and following Crucible Leadership and Beyond the Crucible, at Warwick talks about living a life on purpose and leaving a legacy, living a life of significance, right? Advance others to advance yourself could be the mantra of both of these men whose experiences are vastly different. And the one thing that they have, one of the many things that they have in common emotionally is that they had someone who poured life into them and that's gotten them now living lives of significance. So I just thought that that's really important for listeners to grasp, that it's not so much how much you have in common with someone, it's the things you do have in common that can propel your life forward in meaningful ways. Absolutely. And I often think as people pour life into you, to use your expression, it enables you to pour life into others. And clearly your heritage, your dad has fueled what you do now. So talk a bit about how you know, stuff you grew up with, whether it's dad, church, things you learned in the library, how all that kind of fueled what you do with John Maxwell coaching and your book Going North and podcast Going North. And I have a feeling there's a link between all those strands that fuels your mission and your purpose. So talk about that. Ah, my pleasure indeed. And it does all tie together like a patchwork quilt. Yes, hmm. indeed. And the patches do do a lot of work. <laughs> I don't have to say that much because really I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. And I guess in this case, sitting on the shoulders of giants because they've like really with the books, like when you get a $25 package that someone probably took 25 plus years of their life to really put together, or maybe even shorter or longer, and you get to borrow their experience and then take the meat out of it, throw out the bones and then put it to your life and apply it to your life and then apply a smaller version of it and then share with others, then you'll create a version of your own success that you want. Because that's another thing too, like folks may like success. You can ask like five different people and you'll get five different answers. Like you read a certain book and you might get five different meanings or five different translations. And really everything that I do is because I've had great folks in my life, my father, my parents, my, my older brother, like siblings, heck even mentors and coaches that have really inspired me to really take it to another level and really create something for myself. Like my podcast itself, it's all about interviewing other authors to give them a platform to share their stories. 
because we get to learn from one another from sharing our stories and we get to be inspired by hearing one another's stories, especially in this era of a need of vulnerability where vulnerability has become a buzzword because people are tired of folks faking the funk, like those who like to maybe put their curated feed out on social media and make people think that's their whole entire life when at the end of the day, <laughs> those pictures may not be a complete mirror of what's really going on. Like if people really want folks that are actually real down to earth and give it to you straight no chasers, some may say. And just compiling those stories and to create content and give people the motivation to run for a lifetime. Because another thing too, like if one good person sees something good in you, you can run for a lifetime. And just wanted to give that to other people because honestly, a lot of people may not know what they're doing, but if they hear someone else who's confident in not knowing what they're doing, but still taking action, then that'll make it even better. Because I remember going to a Toastmasters meeting a few years ago, I think it was 2014, and met a bunch of friendly faces. And they had a guest speaker at this meeting. His name was Daniel Alley. And he gave this speech, How to Act Like a Leader. And the acronym for ACT was Audacious, Contagious, and Tenacious. Hmm. And that inspired me to really take it to another level because he also had a book called You Are the Boss. And he was only a couple years older than me. He was 25 at the time. And I was like, wait, this guy in his 20s is speaking around the freaking country and eventually the world. And he's got a book and he's writing about the things I'm already reading about. I'm like, I, I could do that, too. And I became an author a couple of years later because someone else's action was the inspiration for me to get my butt moving even further and keep going. And the person listening right now, not just my stories, but the other stories in the past and heck, even Warwick's powerful story. And I'm sure Gary's got stories, too, that he hasn't even shared as much as he probably would like to yet is the fact that we can all be inspired by one of those other stories, no matter what level of success you have. Yeah. I mean, that is so true that story, you know, we need, I don't say heroes. We do need heroes, but we need real authentic, vulnerable people that we can learn from. It's funny. I was, um, had somebody on the podcast recently, uh, Chris Toff, who wrote a book, the millennial whisperer. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's sort of a, catchy title and certainly what he's saying is millennials which is 20 somethings through early 30s they crave authenticity vulnerability they don't want you know just fabricated um, plastic politician or business people you know the perfect hair the perfect smile all that kind of thing you know they can see through inauthentic people a mile away and there's just zero tolerance that people crave in our prepackaged world that we live in, they want the real, the vulnerable, the authentic. So you're sharing stories of real people. You know, you probably don't share people who have plastic stories, I'm guessing. You share, you share the real stuff, <laughs> you know. People are willing to go there, you know, authentic. And um, we need that because, yeah, I mean, you were inspired by whether it's obviously dad, being part of the John Maxwell team, listening to this guy who was a couple of years older than you. Gosh, if he can do it, heck, I can do that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, my gosh, you know, it's like this is mission possible. I can do this thing, right? So what is it you love to do in what you do? What If somebody said, okay, well, Don, what, what is your purpose in all this? Yeah, my purpose, I feel like, would be to help others realize that success is tangible. 
success is tangible because a lot of folks, especially folks in like the lower parts of Baltimore and folks who've had rough upbringings and heck, we've all gone through some rough stuff this year, I'm sure, with everything and just helping to realize that, hey, no matter what happens, you can still push beyond these moments and create some success for yourself. Like for myself so far, a couple books in the podcast and getting out and sharing inspirations to the other folks and not being afraid to really talk to the folks who may have tons more followers and big followers than me on my show and just learning from them. Because that's another thing too, is to learn from other people as opposed to like seeing somebody who may have like tangible success or whatever, getting jealous, like instead of getting jealous, like find out, what they did to create that. Cause I feel like that's something that gets a lot of people in the wrong ways. Like, you know what, instead of getting jealous of someone, how did they get to that point? What did they do? And try to emulate them as opposed to getting mad and trying to complain about them. And then on your end, you may feel like, yeah, I'm telling the world how bad this person is like, yeah, they're selling a, you know, a bill of goods of nothing. And at the end of the day, you're actually really helping them to get their message out there even more because haters make you greater. Like a hater uh-huh. may be somebody who may see somebody who may be doing something and they may not like it. And then we actually check out the person they're spewing the hate about. You may like, you may think to yourself, hey, this person ain't that bad. I actually like what they have to say. And I'm just going to keep following them and seeing what they're doing. So really just helping folks to realize that success is tangible. Like if you want to publish a book and join what I like to call the business of immortality, creating a piece of yourself that'll be here long after you're gone, then that can happen. Even though times are rough, this is still one of the best times to be alive in because there's access to so many things to really help you create something that you may have been wanting to create for a long time. Heck, even one lady in the book club yesterday mentioned how she said, thank God for COVID. She's like, I'm sorry for the lives that have been lost and counting during this whole situation, but my faith has never been stronger. I've never had this much time to actually get more work done, to be quiet with myself more often, because before COVID, a lot of people are running and gunning, and they may have forgotten why they're running and gunning for. <laughs> like, really, just that time to really be still and seeing that moment going beyond the crucible in a way and realize that, hey, this crucible moment can be a crystal moment. Ooh, I like wow. that. I like that. That is, that is cool. I mean, you've said a lot of powerful things there. I mean, you give people hope. You inspire people, and just you know, it's it's funny. We talk about crucible moments. Some people say, "What do you mean crucible moment? It's a crucible life." I've only ever known crucible, fire, brimstone, pain. You know, it's like a drop of grace of that cool water in the furnace. That would be. A dream but right now it's just my life is a colder in the furnace and that's sadly real for people too many people and it is easy to get bitter and angry and hate but you have to ask yourself how much does hate really serve you does it help you mm. does it really serve you and sometimes it's one of the things we talk about and it's funny people in the business world don't talk a lot about forgiveness but sometimes it's like you know, forgiveness is different than um, acceptance. Something may have been done to you and it's wrong, it's unjustifiable. Sometimes it's pretty difficult to change in terms of the macro picture. You know, we can't change a lot of the structural systemic things that unfortunately are in life and have been for, well, probably thousands of years. But 
forgiving doesn't mean accepting, but it's like, okay, I may not like it, but I'm not going to let this pull me down. Because bitterness stops you achieving your dreams. It's like, okay, so just because you, you're not angry and, and forgive and not bitter doesn't mean you agree or accept. It's fun. Sometimes you think, if I forgive, then I'm condoning. Forgiving and condoning are different. But does that make sense? Like living a life of hate and bitterness, even if it's understandable, or justifiable, how does that really help you? How does that help you advance? You know, I mean, does that make sense? Oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. Funny enough, I was talking, and funny enough, her show goes live in October, we're up in Misty Time. She actually has a book called The Forgiveness Solution. And the things you said work, like they align with what she was saying too. And she actually does keynote presentation and things like that because she's been through a lot herself with, with a rough, upbringing, heck, even dealing with past uh, spousal situations and learning to forgive is different from condoning. It's like just because you you can forgive somebody, but that doesn't mean you have to condone the behavior. Like that's something totally different. And that's something I feel like a lot of folks need to keep in mind. It's like, hey, you can forgive the person because it's really for you. So that way you can keep going and be lighter in life because a lot of folks are carrying weight. And I'm not just talking about the COVID-15 to 35 from the (laughs) COVID-19 home shooting where folks just crashed on a bunch of junk food. And Netflix, right. And Netflix, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that too. And that's really just the power of truly forgiving. Like, hey, you can forgive the person, but look at the behavior objectively, just separating the behavior from the person. Like, all right, let's the person can always change. We can always change. We're subconsciously changing, whether you believe it or not. And it could be a change for the better or for the worse. But the behavior, if you can bring that to their, their attention and they can nip that in the bud early, that's a whole different situation. So I'll fully agree with that. Yeah, fully and you know, it's that. funny. I often say about forgiveness is that why should you forgive? Because you're worth it. Not forgiving, mm-hmm. it puts you in prison. You know, in a prison of bitterness and anger and it just... It's like a living in a in a prison with toxic chemicals. I mean, it's it erodes and destroys your soul. Why you're worth a lot more, you know? It's like they often could care less. Don't give them the satisfaction if you want to use some tortured, twisted logic. It's like forgive because you're worth it. So, you know, talk a bit about. You mentioned some people, you know, their lives are pretty difficult. How do you give people hope? I mean, you in some ways were blessed in terms of the parents you had and the dad you had, but a lot of people aren't blessed with that. So there are some people that have terrible upbringings, live in a terrible neighborhood, their lives are terrible. How do you give people whose situation seems hopeless, how do you give them hope? How do you inspire those folks? Uh, Yes, one of the first things I like to do is listen to people, give them some time, because that's really what a lot of people need nowadays is someone just to listen to them. It's like the classic time when you may greet somebody with the how you doing and you really don't want to know how mm. they're doing, you're just being courteous to people. Right. But usually if I ask somebody that, I usually expect an answer usually. And if that doesn't work, even sometimes adding in a little humor too, if they're open to it, because sometimes <laughs> folks really need just a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine of life go mm. down a lot easier. And just really just humor, the power of listening, and just really a smile as well. And heck, even shooting someone a positive word and reminding people's like, hey, just because someone on paper may have 
all these titles and accomplishments, that doesn't mean they don't take bio breaks. We all have to take bio breaks here just to <laughs> keep a little clean here for the yeah. listeners. No, that's so <laughs> and, true. Yeah, and just remind the folks like, hey, like like me too, just because I got some victories, that doesn't mean I'm still not struggling. Like, hey, I, I still struggle from day to day. I still have to remind myself that I can still get things done and I can still be confident enough to really speak and inspire people because like with the whole COVID thing, like even having anxiety attack because I got an email from my day job and it was because of a miscommunication error. And I'm like, oh crap, hope they don't can me here because <laughs> the whole side hustle thing that dried up for a bit. And it's like, I don't really have it to where it's matching or at least exceeding the day job costs. And it's like, crap, if something stupid happens and I don't have medical insurance, then I might be screwed up, especially for some of the folks who may be relying on me too. And just realizing that, hey, I still struggle too. Like nobody is immune from struggle and adversity. No one's immune. If you think you're immune, then you basically haven't lived long enough. And that's a great place to begin the process. I think I can hear in the background, the, the captain may have turned <laughs> the fasten seatbelt sign on and we're going to you know, we'll circle the 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 airport a couple times, but we got to land the plane pretty soon. But that's an excellent point to what I'm sure is is the next question that Warwick has, and that is, yeah. as you're offering hope to people, one of the things that you've done and is you've written books to help people draw some of that perspective out. And I wanted you to know, Dom, um, because we're interviewing uh, you today, and you started out not loving books much. And then you loved them, and then you became an author. I wanted you to know that I, I wore this. If you're watching on YouTube, <laughs> yeah. if you're watching on YouTube, yes. I'm wearing an author T-shirt uh, yes. <laughs> underneath my sport coat in honor of Dom. But you know that those books that you've written are things that when you can't speak to people, they can look, unpack the wisdom that you have. And I wanted to give you a chance before you know we finish up the questioning to tell people how they can find you on the internet, how they can find your books, how they can learn more about Dom Brightman on the web. Sure thing. Folks can head over to dombrightman.com, dombrightman.com. If you head and over that's there. B-R-I-H-T-M-O-N.com. We'll have them in the show notes too, but that's the address. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> He's right about that. Definitely show notes. You got to show your notes in math class. You got to show your notes on yeah. podcasts, apparently. <laughs> that is so cool. I, I wanted to briefly ask about, um, you know, you have a thing called Mitch, M-I-T-C-H, five keys for elite performance. But before you answer that, I just wanted to make a quick observation that as you're talking about dealing with people with really difficult circumstances, by just listing them giving them a little bit of hope. It's like a drop of grace. A little bit of hope helps you take one more step. And then that one more step leads to another. So, you know, it's the, the journey to maybe a life that's better. It just begins with somebody having a listening ear mm -hmm. and giving them a little hope. It doesn't take much to help you take one more baby step. And that's what you do just in your life and your books. So I just wanted to just throw that observation in there, but talk a little bit about uh, Mitch. I mean, that's an amazing acronym. So what is Mitch, the five keys for elite performance? Ah, uh, sure thing. Sure thing. I, I have to think of a Gary or Warwick acronym. I know if some listeners named Mitch, they're going to be happy about this, but Mitch, the five keys for elite performance. The M stands for mental awareness. 
mental awareness, being aware of what's going on in your mind. The I stands for influence awareness, being aware of the things around you that influence you. Like this podcast right now, that's a good influence. Been you on Netflix for 10 hours after listening to the podcast, maybe not so good. <laughs> it's a detox, but maybe not for 10 hours. The T is for time awareness, being aware of your time. And the reason why I put time awareness as opposed to time management is because one, it goes with the theme of awareness, and two, you can't really manage time because we all have the same amount. We just have to decide which activities we put mm. in those blocks of time, and it's really where our attention goes. And then the C is for connection awareness. Are you connecting with wonderful people mm -hmm. that'll really help you to think better, to live better and become better? Do you have your metaphorical Wi-Fi signal open to receive the abundance that awaits you if you meet wonderful people? And the H to put the cap on everything is habit awareness because the habits that we have on the daily will decide where our future and our destiny will end up. Because if you're not getting enough sleep daily, then it's going to show up in your work when you're short with people, especially since nowadays everyone's in the people business, whether they realize it or not. And it's now more than ever where we need empathy. And if you're well, or your cup of empathy is empty, then basically have to go back to your habits to realize, okay, am I getting enough sleep? Am I actually giving myself enough time for myself? Am I actually doing something to take care of myself? And just really putting all those things together to really help you to become a top elite performer. And that's one of the, and that's the major keys that helped me to really get out of the grief and some setbacks over these past couple of years when <laughs> building a wonderful life that I've been blessed to live up to this point. Mm. That makes me wish my name was Mitch, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in the, the days we're living in, as we close here, um, you know, we have in COVID, there's as much division in the U.S. and probably the world as there's ever been. A lot of, you know, anger, grief. I mean, we live in just such challenging days. What, what's sort of a word of of hope for people when they feel like, things are so difficult, things are so bleak. What hope would you sort of give it like a, a thought just for people that are feeling there's not much hope around? Sure thing. You are somebody's gift, whether you know it or not. Because there was a Facebook post from an independent musician on YouTube where he was sharing a post that was asking folks, how long has it been since your last suicide attempt? And he said five years. And then a few other folks we're listing their years. Some said four, some said three, some said two. And one of them, I actually listened to some of his music and I was a fan of it. And I'm like, hey, I'm like, hey, keep keep pushing forward and keep being better and realizing that, hey, you're someone's gift. Like I listen to your album at least once every other month. I listen to it every year, man. Like keep pushing. I, I love your work. And I didn't even know that they were going through that. So you are someone's mm. gift. Make sure that you remember you were always someone's gift. You may not know it now. You may not think it now. It's hard to see it where you are now, but keep pushing and you'll eventually see that you are someone else's gift because taking your life will be taking that gift away from someone else and it'll be taking away the future that you can create, not only for yourself, but for those you love. Wow. As I say, increasingly on this podcast because we get such good guests with such great insights. I've been in the communications business long enough to know when the last best word has been spoken and Dom has spoken it. 
Let me wrap up with three takeaways, I think, that come from this uh, really, really insightful conversation with Don Brightman. One, look for the gifts in adversity. There may be, as Dom explained it, some barbed wire on the package that that gift arrives in, but you have to unwrap it. You may get cut. It may draw a little blood, physically and emotionally, but you can get through it. You cannot just survive, but you can thrive. Adversity is not a period in your life story. It's a comma. And life can be, as Dom's latest book contribution puts it, it can go from crappy to happy. That's point one. Point two, uh, look to others to help you move beyond your crucibles. Family, friends, associates at work, they will encourage you. They'll educate you. They'll help you heal from the hits to the face, as Dom put it earlier in this episode. Moving beyond a crucible is not an individual sport like tennis. It's a team sport like football. And like football, you're going to get knocked about a bit but you'll also score touchdowns because you have a team behind you that's all kind of driving in the same direction toward those goalposts. Your crucible moment can be a crystal moment. And I'll stop here and say, copyright 2020, Dom Brightman. <laughs> just, so, just so no one thinks I'm trying to take credit for his fantastic intellectual property. And then point three, as a takeaway from this episode, listener, advance others to advance yourself. That's Dom's mantra. The way to fill up your legacy glass is to pour into the lives of others. Thank you for spending time with us here on Beyond the Crucible and this discussion we've had with Dom Brightman. Warwick and I have a favor to ask you. If you've enjoyed this conversation, if you've enjoyed previous conversations, we'd ask that you would click subscribe on the podcast app in which you're listening to us right now. Uh, that ensures that you'll never miss an episode. And we have, I can tell you, because we've recorded some of them already, uh, we have some interviews coming up that are just as exciting and exciting in different ways even than this one has been with Dom. We've got good content on the line, as they say. So click subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. So until the next time we are together here on Beyond the Crucible, Remember that your crucible experiences are painful. They can be, in Dom's language, crappy. But happy is just over the wall. You can f move from that to happiness. If you learn the lessons of your crucible, if you dig in and do the hard work, if you work through what that barbed wire has done to you as you had that crucible moment, those crucible experiences can be not by far not the end of your story, not a period to your sentence, but a comma, because what can happen is the next chapter in your story, once you learn those lessons and move on, the next chapter in your story can be the most rewarding chapter of your life, because in the end, that chapter, the last page of that, is a life of significance.